0: Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, the life, the one who is truth, and the one who brings us back to the true God. We sing of him as we look to the book of Proverbs this morning, and I invite you to open to chapter 12, where we will uh, jump off in our study this morning. As you're turning there, let's just remember what we've learned so far in this series in Proverbs. Proverbs has laid for us the groundwork of a life of wisdom, a life lived in the fear of the Lord, a life lived listening to and trusting the Lord, leading to life and blessing from the Lord. Proverbs has not given us a moralistic set of rules of do this and and don't do that. It is the God who created us and who redeemed us, coming to us and warning us of the punishment and death that come from the path of sin and folly and calling us to the blessing of wisdom in Him. Now, we've been working our way through these topics of wisdom in this uh, section of uh, the book of Proverbs that have showed us how to live in ways that reflect God's character and God's creation and God's commands. And this morning... We want to look at Proverbs that deal with the topic of truth, honesty, and justice, as opposed to lying and deception. I'd like to jump off by reading Proverbs 12, verses 19 through 22. Hear the word of God. Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. Deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil. But those who plan peace have joy. No ill befalls the righteous, but the wicked are filled with trouble. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. Father, we pray that you would be with us this morning. We pray that your spirit would give us minds to understand your word. And that your spirit would apply your word to our lives. And we pray it for Christ's sake. Amen. This week I was thinking about the topics of truth and lying. And it struck me that there are a number of very well-known stories. Stories that are woven into the, the fabric of our culture in certain ways. That have to do with truth and lying. There's the classic and almost certainly mythical tale of George Washington and the cherry tree. You remember the story, George Washington receives a new hatchet for his birthday and promptly goes out and chops down his father's cherry tree. But confronted by his father, George says, Father, I cannot tell a lie. I did cut it down with my hatchet. Or there's Abraham Lincoln, who we call what? Honest Abe And there's the likely true story of Abraham hiking three miles to return six cents that he accidentally overcharged a woman clerking the store. And these are our well-known stories to us. And on the other hand, of course, we have stories like Pinocchio with his ever-lengthening nose who nearly loses his humanity because of his deceits. Or the classic tale of the boy who cried wolf, who lied and lied and lost his flock because of it. And these stories that are so common among us powerfully capture the beauty of truth and the consequences of lying. However, none of these stories cuts to the root of the matter the way that scripture does. Truth and lying are not just good social morals with rewards and consequences, though they do have those in Scripture. According to Scripture, truth ought to characterize all our words and all our actions because truth is at the heart of God's own character. And it is God's character that leads to God's call on our lives in this area. And that's what I hope us that we'll see this morning is the truth and faithfulness of God's character that leads to this call on our lives. So let's let's begin by looking at God's character. I suppose we should agree on definitions of terms to begin. I think we would say when we are talking about something being true, we mean that it is right, that it is accurate, that it matches reality. Words like honest, open and without deceit. Words like just, right and equal and according to the facts. Words like faithful, doing what one says he will do. All go with the attribute of truth. Falsehood, on the other hand, is hidden, deceptive and wrong. It is out of accord with reality. Lying, manipulating, breaking your promise, injustice are all associated with falsehood in Scripture. But what the Scriptures make clear is that these are not just social categories. Truth is at the heart of God's character. All God's words and actions are right, accurate, just, and faithful. In fact, God is the one who created reality, And so he and what he is are accurate and true. What he says is always true. What he promises he always fulfills. What he commands is always right and just. If you have your bulletin in front of you, we've again printed a number of Proverbs on this topic on page 5. And I was particularly struck this week by Proverbs 16.11. I wonder if you would look at that proverb there in front of you. A just balance in scales are the Lord's. All the weights in the bag are His work. Now, the scales and weights that are being referred to here is the the typical scale and weight that would be used in the marketplace. If uh, you were a seller and you were going to sell your flour or barley... Uh, and perhaps um, you, would, you would have a, a, a one pound weight, and you'd put it on one side, and then you'd pour the barley or flour on the other until uh, the, the, the two balanced out, and you would know you had a, uh, a pound of, of your goods. A shrewd seller, though, might try to imperceptibly shave off his weights so that he was actually giving you less than a pound. And since you couldn't get your own official one-pound weight verified by the U.S. Office of Weights and Measures, you had to rely on the honesty and the truth of the seller. So that's the picture, this balance scales, the, the picture of justice. And what this proverb is saying is that God owns justice. Justice is the Lord's. God identifies Himself and puts His name on just weights in the bag. Weights that are just are associated with the Lord. They belong to Him. And of course, it's also saying to us, implying to us, and reminding us that all true justice is worked by the Lord. But what this also implies is that to lie with unjust weights is not merely dishonest. It is an affront to God Himself and to his character. I think author Brad Hambrick put it so well when he wrote, truth is the reality that God created. All that he does and says is consistent, accurate, and reliable. All things that are false are in contradiction to or in competition with God and with his character. God is true. God owns justice and right. Right and falsehood is an affront to his character. If you have your list of Proverbs with you, you might look all the way to the bottom to Proverbs 30, verse 5, which again addresses God's own character and affirms every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Again, what do we hear? His word is always true. What he promises, he always fulfills. And Proverbs says... Because of that, we are safe trusting him in his word. And can we just pause for a minute and reflect on how comforting and encouraging it is to know that we have a God who is true and faithful, who always fulfills his words? I mean, this is the God, the one who speaks to us in his word and promises us Forgiveness of sins and adoption as his children in Jesus Christ. This is the one who promises never to leave us or forsake us. The one who promises that even death itself cannot pry his grasp off us if we are in Christ. And that God who makes those promises to us in the very fabric of his character is true and right and faithful. I think of the way the author of Hebrews talks about God's truth and faithfulness and the comfort that that gives us. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 17 and 18 puts it this way, when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, his character and his word, two unchangeable things, we who have fled for refuge might find strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope that is set before us. So, what an encouragement, what a comfort. God is trustworthy, faithful, true in every way. That is an assurance to us as his people. But if God's very character is truth, it should not surprise us that God then calls us to live in truth. And now I want to move on to look at this secondly, God's character leads to God's call on our lives. And I want you to notice how strongly Proverbs articulates the Lord's perspective on truth and lying. In the passage we read at the beginning today, Proverbs 12, 22, we read, Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. But those who act faithfully are his delight. This isn't just a one time proverb or maybe a, a, a bit of an exaggeration or hyperbole. It's repeated again and again. Look at the first one in your list there Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. And in this list of seven things that are an abomination to the Lord, two of them are lying lips and a false witness who breathes out lies. You move down to the next one, Proverbs 11, verse 1. We read that a false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is His delight. You remember what we said a few weeks ago, that abomination is the strongest combination that God expresses against sin? Abomination is used for child sacrifices, for flagrant Sexual violations of god 's pattern, arrogance and blatant disregard for god 's holiness and lying belongs in that category in the eyes of the lord and I think Jesus gives us a bit of an understanding of why dishonesty is such an abomination to the Lord. Do you remember Jesus when he 's talking with the Pharisees in John chapter eight verses forty four and forty five He says to the Pharisees you ...are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand in the truth... ...because there is no truth found in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Well, No wonder lying and deception are an abomination to the Lord... The Lord delights in truth and justice and faithfulness because it reflects his own character and glory, but he hates deception because it is the character of the devil, and when we put ourselves in deceit and falsehood, we are following the character of of Satan, and it is an abomination to the Lord. Well, if God delights in truth and hates lies, it comes as no surprise to us that God attaches significant consequences of blessing and of cursing on uh, truth and falsehood. And these consequences are practical, social, and spiritual. And Proverbs traces all three. If you're looking at your Proverbs, Proverbs 12, 19 begins to get at the practical consequences of lying versus truth. We read that truth endures forever, whereas lies last only for a moment. Have you ever lied about something and thought you got away with it for a moment and then it all comes crumbling down because the truth is revealed? Uh, Kids, have you ever been halfway through your bowl of ice cream when your parents discovered your broccoli in the trash can? You said you had eaten it and you thought you got away with it for a few bites, and then it comes crashing down. It's not just kids, of course. Maybe it's the coworker who accepts what you said until he finds out from another coworker it was not true. And it is in the nature of lying that you will need to continue to lie to cover over the inconsistencies that will naturally arise when what you say is not true. Lies will only last a moment. But truth, on the other hand, can be relied on. It is according to reality. It endures. It doesn't change. We have no need to fear when what we speak is true. Even if we suffer for it for a moment, in the end, it will prove true because truth endures. But then there are social consequences in addition to the practical consequences. Certainly, our ability to be trusted is at the heart of our relationships with one another. I have a vague memory of a poster that hung for a number of years on a bulletin board in our basement growing up. It wasn't something we looked at or referred to all the time, but it was one of those things that you'd walk past and just notice it and and be reminded. And the poster had a big tree on it, and it said, Trust takes a lifetime to build and a moment to cut down. And that's the truth, isn't it? Our lies break trust in relationship and proverbs consistent message is that truth and honesty bring healing and life but lies slander and dishonesty bring quarrels destruction ruin and a separation of friendships just look down the proverbs in your bulletin proverbs 14:25 a truthful witness saves lives but one who breathes out lies is deceitful proverbs 16:28 a dishonest man spreads strife and a whisperer separates close friends. Proverbs 26: 18 to 20, like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows at death as the man who deceives his neighbor and says, "I'm only joking." Proverbs 26:28: "A lying tongue hates its victim, and a flattering mouth works ruin." I wonder whether we might be tempted to downplay our dishonesty at times, our lack of truth. You know, I didn't lie per se. It didn't really hurt anyone. It's not that big of a deal. Except that God's Word says that it is. We may not see the consequences immediately, but deceit brings webs of consequences to others and to our relationships with them. And if we had the time and the inclination, I could share as evidences Stories of marriages destroyed, companies harmed, thousands of dollars and jobs lost, reputations damaged, friendships broken because of lies and dishonesty. The consequences are severe. But it's not just practical and social. There are also spiritual consequences of truth and falsehood. And I wonder if you have your Bibles with you, will you flip over to Psalm 15? Back one book in the Bible... Proverbs, Psalms comes right before it. Come back to Psalm 15. I was remembering this week in middle school, I memorized Psalm 15 because I was required to memorize a psalm, and 15 was the shortest one I could find. (laughs) Unfortunately for my spiritual growth, it's a good one. Psalm 15 starts with this question, O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent Who shall dwell on your holy hill? The question is one of spiritual blessing. Who can stand in the presence of the Lord? But what struck me this week is that there are four verses giving an answer to this question, and every single verse mentions something about truth versus falsehood. Verse 2, he who speaks truth in his heart. Verse 3, who does not slander with his tongue. To slander is to spread false accusation against another. Verse 4 Who swears to his own hurt but does not change, he keeps his word faithfully. Verse 5 He does not take a bribe against the innocent. Verse after verse after verse, truth and not falsehood are brought into this chapter, this psalm, on our ability to stand in the presence of the Lord. Truth. Honors the Lord and leads to life in His presence. Falsehood leads towards punishment and death away from the Lord. So, God has told us His perspective on truth and deceit here and laid out these consequences. But I wonder if we might now look at Proverbs to expand our understanding of what all is included in truth versus falsehood. What does Proverbs say practically here? One of the first things that struck me as I read Proverbs this week. Was how many different sins Proverbs says are offshoots of lying and dishonesty? Proverbs 1628 says that dishonesty and gossip are close cousins. And doesn't this make sense? Because gossip deals in the realm of rumors, of spreading news that is either not true or not yet confirmed or exaggerated. Or it says something but gives no opportunity to the subject for response. Proverbs 26 lists deceiving someone for fun and saying, I was just joking, gossip, and flattery, which praises a person when you don't believe it or it isn't true, as all offshoots of lying. In fact, I was interested to note this week that our Westminster Larger Catechism Some of you know the Westminster Larger Catechism goes through each of the Ten Commandments and gives us a list of which sins are prohibited by the commandment. And I was interested to note that what sins are prohibited by the Ninth Commandment, remember do not bear false witness against your neighbor, is the longest answer of any of the Ten Commandments in the larger catechism. There are more sins of the offshoot of dishonesty and lying listed than any of the other Ten Commandments. Let me just read you some of the things that the catechism says. The Ninth Commandment forbids lying, saying what is false, exaggerating, hiding or half-truths with the intent of deceiving others or protecting ourselves, slander, gossip, spreading rumors, flattery, undue silence in a just cause, favoritism, breaking our promises, making ourselves out to be better than we are, or someone else's faults out to be greater than they actually are, not acknowledging our sin, evil suspicion, which means assuming we know someone's motives and judging them for it when we don't actually know their motives. This is just a sampling of the list of sins that are connected with lying. And can we agree that we are all tempted to these things? Just consider some of the specific ways we're tempted. We are tempted to lie to avoid consequences. As children, don't we know that situation where we know what's wrong and we know we've done it and we know what the consequence is and so when our parents come, we are immediately tempted to lie, to try to cover it up? I was... Uh, humored by a YouTube video a mother took when she asked uh, her two-year-old, whose mouth was smeared with pink frosting and sprinkles, did you eat the donut? I told you not to eat. And the little two-year-old says, no, no, I did not eat any donut. I did not eat anything. And, you know, here here he is with this frosting and the sprinkles, and the red-handedness of the moment was humorous, But you don't have to be a child to be tempted to hide the truth or to deceive in order to avoid consequences. Or we are tempted to preserve our reputation or gain acceptance. Whether it's exaggerating and saying that I'm better than I actually am or whether I'm cutting others down or sharing gossip that gets you attention or makes you look better, this is a real temptation. I think maybe half of the conversation at at high school is tempted by these temptations of reputation and acceptance. But again, it's true for all of us. I can attest how easily I can be tempted to communicate part of the truth to one person and another part to another because I know they want to hear different things. Isn't that a temptation we face? People pleasing, avoiding conflict are powerful temptations to not speak the truth fully. Or we're tempted to manipulate the truth to gain something we want. I was thinking about it this week, about the ways we can be more committed to our position or our conclusion than we are to actually learning the truth. Think of how many times we are tempted only to believe the facts that are shared with the people who agree with us. One commentator warns, lying lips refers to fools who distort facts whether carelessly, thoughtlessly, or intentionally. And these are an abomination to the Lord. I was struck this week by some advice from Samuel Johnson. Remember Samuel Johnson? He was an essayist and the author of the first dictionary in England in the 1700s, and his writing was so broad and so deep that it became commonplace for other writers to support their opinions by saying, after all, as Dr. Johnson says, well, one of the things Dr. Johnson said was this, it is more from carelessness about truth than from intentional lying that there is so much falsehood in the world. And might I suggest that even for those of us who would never dream of telling a bold-faced lie, we are still tempted regularly to be careless about the truth and the reputation of those around us. And why? Why would we be careless about the truth? Rude, I suspect we have forgotten that this is part of God's very character, and we have not taken seriously the strength of God's hatred of falsehood and the consequences God attached to it, and the breadth of what Proverbs and Scripture tell us God associates with truth and deceit. And so as God's people, may we zealously pursue and hold ourselves to the truth that we might reflect the character of our God. Now, I think having looked at what Scripture says here about the importance of truth and falsehood, there should be, or at least my guess is there may be, a question in your minds. And the question is, after hearing about all the ways we ought to speak the truth fully, are there any exceptions? Are there any times when we ought to withhold the truth? It's a good question. Can I mention two in which I think Scripture speaks? The first is that wisdom does not speak in certain circumstances, even when it is true. Proverbs 26, verse 4 says there is a time not to answer a fool according to his folly. There is a time when correcting a folly with truth uh, a fool with truth is not wise or appropriate. Ecclesiastes three verse seven says, "There is a time to speak and a time to keep silent. And I think the guiding principle here is that there are times when we would not say something true. Because it is neither needed nor helpful, but would actually harm the situation. Now this is maybe a silly example of this, but I remember uh, in college this is my sophomore or junior year a new student arrived on campus, and within about 72 hours, I started hearing about him and his reputation for arrogance, because he told everyone what he thought in every situation. I think that haircut is terrible. I think that shirt is ridiculous. I think you're using your time foolishly. A couple days later, after we had met and talked a bit, he asked me to have lunch with him. And he said, Chris, people seem to like you. What's your secret? And I said, well, I don't give my opinion on everything, especially when I'm not asked. And he said, well, I can't lie. I'm only speaking the truth. But he was forgetting Proverbs wisdom. There are times when wisdom does hold your opinion back and sometimes when it even holds the truth back, when it is neither needed nor helpful but would bring harm in a situation, particularly in the midst of folly, according to Proverbs 26.4. So that's one situation for us to be aware of. But second, I would argue that Scripture gives us clear precedent that truth can be withheld or deceit used to thwart the wicked. Now, I know that this has been a bit of a debate through the history of the church, but it seems to me that when deceit is not to harm another or protect myself, but to shield the innocent from the wicked, Scripture gives us repeated justification for it. Let me mention two two situations in Scripture, though there are more. In Exodus chapter 1, when Pharaoh commanded the midwives to kill every baby boy born to Israel, the text tells us, The midwives did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. When Pharaoh challenged them, they said, the Hebrew women are so vigorous they give birth before the midwife comes to them. But here's the key. The text tells us it was in their power to kill the children, but they chose to let them live. The issue was not that the Hebrew midwives were too strong and shrewd and vigorous so they had no chance to obey the king. The issue was that they refused to obey the king because they feared God and they deceived Pharaoh and God blessed them for this. Another example, First Samuel chapter 16. God speaks to the prophet Samuel and says, "'Fill your horn with oil and go. "'I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite "'to anoint his son as king.'" But Samuel says, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. What does God tell him? Take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Now, he did make a sacrifice to the Lord. But that was not the full truth. And I think if we pulled this type of action on our parents, they would say, you are not telling me the reason you are actually here. That was not the main purpose of being here. This is a great example of hiding the truth which God commanded in order to protect the innocent against the wicked. So when it comes to the question of whether you should lie to the Nazis to protect the Jews in your attic, I think Scripture provides justification for doing so. But my concern for us here today is that 99.9% of the time we are not dealing with the exceptions. And the key for us is is do we care about truth, honesty, and faithfulness with the same passion that the Lord does? Well, let me come to the end this morning. But as we do, if you are thinking carefully about the character of God and the commands of God, it seems like we've run up against an insurmountable problem. Because like the Pharisees, We are naturally children of sin who are prone to lie, flatter, and protect ourselves. Who of us can say that we have never crossed any of these lines that Scripture has laid out? And according to Psalm 15, that means we are not able to dwell in the Lord's presence according to His character and His standard. And God must be true to His character. He cannot turn a blind eye to our sin without being unjust. And denying his character. And yet, God has also made promises to his people. Promises that he would bring them back to himself. And rescue them. And make them his people and welcome him into his presence. So how? How can God be true to his character and punish sin and not overlook it? And be true to his promises? And welcome his people back into his presence? It seems like an impossible problem, perhaps, until Christ steps onto the scene. And the justice and the faithfulness of God's character are brought together and magnified beyond what we could have expected in glory before our eyes at the cross of Jesus Christ. Because there on the cross, God's justice was satisfied. Death, the penalty for sin, was paid on our behalf. There at the cross, a way was made for our sins to be covered and for the righteous requirement of the law to be met on our behalf that we might dwell with him in his presence once again. And there through the cross, the Jesus who rose from the dead and was exalted to the right hand of God offers us his spirit that we might be convicted of sin and renewed in his image in true righteousness and holiness. Now, this is not automatically true of you. It is only of use to you if you have repented of your sin and trusted in Jesus by faith, relying in faith on Jesus' death and resurrection for you on your behalf. If you have not, you stand only on the justice of God. But if you are looking to Christ, the one who has shed his blood in your place and risen again for your life, You are redeemed in him. You are promised life by the one who never lies. So if you are someone here today who knows your deceits or your sin, look to Christ. There is hope of forgiveness and reconciliation and redemption and being brought into his presence. And if you are standing in Christ, redeemed in him, the call now goes out to you again. Put off falsehood. You've died to this world. You've died to your old man. You've died to that falsehood and the character of the devil. And live in truth and faithfulness after the character of your God who has redeemed you and is remaking you more and more in his likeness. Your hope is in him. Let's pray. Father, when we consider what you have done in Jesus Christ, when we consider the hopelessness of our case before the true justice of God until Christ came and took it on our behalf. Oh, Father, may we look to Jesus. And as we look to Jesus, may our hearts overflow with thankfulness to you for the redemption you have brought. And as we look to Christ, may we more and more by the power of your Holy Spirit put away falsehood and live in truth to the glory of your character. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The Westminster Pulpit is courtesy of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. You are welcome to worship with us on Sunday mornings at 8 or 11 a.m. To learn more or have questions about the gift of salvation through Christ Jesus our Savior, contact us at westpca.com. Thank you. And may Christ be glorified through this ministry, the Westminster Pulpit.